This is the future of farming. We see this as a real potential. Save the farmer money and stuff along those lines. The world population is expected to exceed 10 billion people by 2050. That means the pressure is on the agriculture sector to meet the growing demand for food and to do it more sustainably than ever. But is that even possible? In this episode, we will explore clean technologies that are addressing food insecurity and climate change at the same time. And it's all happening now on the Innovating to a Clean Economy podcast. I'm Kirsten Williams, your host. Today's episode features our student guest host, Vivian Lee, one of our clean tech interns. She will take us through stories of startups that are reimagining agriculture. Thanks, Kirsten, for that intro. Hi, everyone. My name is Vivian, and I'm a senior here at UNC, and I am so excited to be a part of this podcast. In this episode, we'll be exploring three companies that utilize emerging technologies. These innovations range from satellite imagery, indoor farming with jobs for people with disabilities, and technology that converts wood into an alternative protein source. First up, we're going to be talking to Joshua Miller, the founder of FarmShots, which is now acquired by Syngenta, a leading agriculture company that helps to improve global food security. So Joshua, what is the problem that FarmShots is trying to solve? So when you think about it, like one of the big challenges in agriculture, well, there's actually a few, but <laughs> one of the big ones is that you spend a lot of time and money looking for diseases and bugs out your farm. Right. Typically, you would pay someone to walk through your field and look for, hey, I found a bug here, or I found a disease here, and the amount that that costs you is quite a bit, right? because it's very, very labor-intensive. Mm-hmm. What we're able to do uh, with farm shots that we figured out was you can actually use satellite imagery to look at how much light plants are absorbing, and based on that, determine where the bugs and diseases are in the field. So instead of a farmer spending tens of thousands of dollars a year, having someone walk up and down their fields on these very large farms. Instead, they just take a satellite imaging and they get an exact map of where their plants are being affected. That does a few things for them. It saves them the money on the labor costs, but it also saves on the amount of chemical that they actually have to put down. Because they have an exact map of where the diseases and bugs are, they can make sure they just spray only those parts instead of the rest of the field, which ends up limiting the amount of chemical they use um, typically by about 30%. So oh, wow. it, it's a great way to kind of prevent runoff, a great way to, to save the farmer money and stuff along those lines. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So what inspired you to start this? Uh, I worked on a chicken farm in high school <laughs> one summer and I fell in love with it. Um, also just really love agriculture and farmers in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always wanted to start a startup. I thought it would be cool to take what I was studying during my undergrad, which was electrical engineering. Wow. And instead, That's awesome. of, instead of going to like a Google or a Microsoft and just kind of like doing the typical thing, I was like, let me go help farmers. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. What would you say your biggest challenge was in this startup? I think one of the biggest challenges when it comes to starting any startup is always like personal, mm-hmm. right? which is like, especially when you're at a school like Duke or UNC where there's a lot of like 
really well accomplished people that are graduating and they're going to McKinsey and Google and they're getting paid a lot of money. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to go be like, I'm going to build a farming thing. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And not make any money for a while. Uh, <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest challenges, right? Like a lot of people don't think about that. Like the challenge with the startup is not necessarily like always the technology or the marketing or often it's like a personal struggle of like getting comfortable with the risk. So would, what would you say farm shots is like biggest challenges now, now that it's already acquired by Syngenta? Uh, fitting to like international markets, right? What's really cool about farming is like, it's done completely differently everywhere. There are some things that remain the same. I mean, corn here is <laughs> corn everywhere else, right? But like the things farmers care about, like what the price of chemicals and seeds and like, you know, how large the farms are varies so widely that a farmer in China, as an example, would have really tough luck trying to farm in Brazil and a Brazilian farmer. <laughs> yeah really tough luck trying to farm in China, right? So it's um, catering to kind of those specificities of international markets is really the big, big challenge at this point. That's so impressive how much Farm Shots has grown over the years. What year was Farm Shots founded? Started it in like 2013. Wow. 2014-ish, yeah. So it's grown a lot over the past just Mm -hmm. almost, wow, Mm -hmm. it's almost 10 years. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever think you were going to be at this point before? No, I mean, I always, like, I think with any startup, there's always a healthy dose of like reality, which is like, you always kind of just expect to fail. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can go your way. <laughs> Great mindset. <laughs> right, right, right. So that, that was, I think, a healthy mindset for this. So where do you see Farm Shots next year? Or where do you hope it to be? Um, really, it's it's international expansion, right? Like, I'd like to see us be a little deeper in Brazil. I'd like mm-hmm. to see us be a little bit deeper in Europe, especially where there's like a changing regulatory environment that makes these tools a lot more useful mm-hmm. uh, and economical. Um, yeah, I would say that's where I would hope to see us next year. On the website, is there somewhere that lists like all the places that Farm Shots is at? Not really, but I would say we're in about 30 countries. Wow, that's yeah. really impressive. Our primary mar- our primary places right now are probably the U.S., Brazil, China, and New Zealand. So, would you say your goal for next year would be about the same for about like in five more years? Yeah, yeah. The goal yeah. remains the same. <laughs> really, just like the tool works. Um, it's about getting it to the most people as, as we can. That's awesome. Well, that was Joshua over at Farm Shots. Now we're going to be hearing from John Battle, one of the co-founders at Your Local Greens, who is revolutionizing the agricultural sector in a different way. So John, who is Your Local Greens? Your Local Greens is an industrial-sized indoor vertical farm located in Burlington, North Carolina. When completely built out, the facility will have three grow rooms totaling approximately 58,000 square feet of growing space and produce just over a million pounds of greens annually. At present, the first phase, which was completed in November of 2018, is now fully operational. This 18,000 square foot clean room style growing area combines optimum growing conditions with the latest in LED grow light technology developed by Signify to produce 4,500 pounds of mixed greens and 630 pounds of microgreens on a weekly basis. Plants grow in a safe, clean, controlled atmosphere and water without soil 
using just the right mix of nutrients and light. This not only increases crop yield and reduces waste, but more important, it increases nutritional content while using fewer natural resources. The grow room is a GAP and kosher certified by the USDA and OK Kosher respectively. What was the inspiration to start your local greens? I met Doug Calloway at a Million Cups event at the Frontier in 2015. Our initial conversation was not about starting a company, but about finding better ways to enable individuals with disabilities to care for themselves. Central to the conversation was finding meaningful employment that paid a living wage and allowed individuals with developmental disabilities to support and care for themselves. Out of that conversation came the decision to join our talents and move forward with Doug's idea of building a state-of-the-art hydroponic indoor farm that would be a model for both employing individuals with disabilities and feeding future generations. Fast forward to today and you find your local Greens employees with disabilities working seamlessly with their counterparts, receiving a living wage with benefits while growing the purest produce imaginable. That's awesome. I love that. Could you tell me about how your local greens grows? Well, your local greens indoor city farm produces safe, nutritious, locally grown lettuces and microgreens that meet or exceed all certified organic requirements using fewer resources and for less cost than traditional field and greenhouse growing. We grow indoors 12 months of the year. We grow in water without soil using cutting edge, low energy LED lighting in a climate controlled grow room. Wow. Using all natural recipes, we have no need of insecticides or pesticides because we have no pests or disease. We use 90% less water than in the field, produce 10 to 15 times the volume and recycle everything we use. By properly controlling the temperature of the product during harvesting and not having to wash the plants in chemicals prior to packaging, we are able to enhance the flavor and nutritional content lengthen the product shelf life and reduce waste to about 2%. The result is outstanding, all natural, disease and pest-free produce without the use of pesticides. As we like to say, truly the taste of better. Could you talk a little bit about the feasibility of a city farm? The question of what is, economic fe- what is the economic feasibility of indoor vertical farming is an important one. Your Local Greens is located in a repurposed 60,000 square foot warehouse that was formerly a hosiery mill. Warehouses like these are abundant and are being repurposed as low-cost alternatives to building new facilities. Government economic redevelopment zones offer incentives for startup companies to bring new, well-paid jobs to areas that have been economically depressed for decades. In terms of long-term sustainability, the fast pace at which high tech LED grow lighting is advancing, means costs are decreasing while the output in the same grow area is increasing. Likewise, the cost of solar panels has dropped dramatically. The culmination of these changes means that it won't be long before carbon footprints are reduced to zero. Your Local Greens is a study in the future of self-sustainable agriculture, meeting at least one subset of 13 of the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. And this is something we are really proud of. What this means for the future of indoor farming is that profits from operational savings and increased output will provide early in investors with substantial positive returns. 
Unlike traditional farming, there is no need for expensive disaster insurance policies and subsidies. Profit, profits will continue to increase as more and varied crops become viable, both in terms of volume output and cost of production. It is profits that will drive this new technology to greater efficiency, and dramatic improvements in sustainability will be the result. This is the future of farming, providing good jobs, feeding a growing global urban population, and preventing the strong potential for famine that lies ahead. As an investment with a strong economic and human impact, the future is bright. Your Local Greens is ready for the future and looking forward to helping change the world. Wow, I am super excited to see Your Local Greens continue to grow. Thank you so much for talking with us. Last but certainly not least, we're going to be talking to Emily Glenn over at RBM. So Emily, what problem is RBM trying to solve? So we're looking to solve um, the future project projected um, protein gap or you know, the, the real exp exponential increase in protein demand as with the rise of the middle class, especially, um, and you know, in light of population growth projections broadly. A lot of that middle a lot of the middle class, you know, there's been a, several hosts of studies showing that, you know, incrementally um, you know, incomes will be spent on the ability to purchase animal proteins, which in many places is seen as a luxury. Um, and already we know, you know, animal production is highly inefficient um, in terms of the, the resource use, um, you know, the, the, the consumption of, um, you know, what could be used as human food directly, you know, to, that's diverted to animal feed. Um, and, and animals then, you know, are really inefficient converting that into, you know, the end, end product or the, you know, the, the final animal. So we're looking to solve um, really, you know, the, the ability to, you know, sustainably produce um, food to, to feed future generations. So what exactly is RBM? Uh, the company's founding vision really like is focused on um, really the idea that wood is a, a very, it's rich in a host of different compounds and materials, um, including lignin, um, you know, hydrolysates or um, like sugars, if you will, but that, you know, we don't, we don't call it, it's more of a wood hydrolysate. So, um, and then other, other compounds and, 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 you know, pure fuels and, and a host of different things. Um, depending on the wood itself. So really the focus of the company was on, well, why can't we develop a technology that actually is able to break down wood into, you know, usable and or valuable, it's, you know, it's valuable components in the sense that, you know, it can be used for a host of other things in addition to the forest products and, and paper industries and, and those end products. So in addition to building materials and, and flooring and um, paper and, and, you know, the pulp and paper space, um, we see this as a real potential to become um, to expand our food production potential of the uh, you know, of the the world without using more land or more more water and fertilizer, just um, given a host of different benefits of, of wood as a material. And so the the process really um, is it's um, several stages, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but um, it, it, we take we take wood chips, um, you know, a wood chip or a, a biomass. Uh, feedstock and put it through a pretreatment um, process, including enzymatic hydrolysis um, and steam explosion, which are conventional technologies. But we've done a lot of the optimization work to, in order to really make sure that that the end hydrolysates that are that come out of the the early the early processes 
are highly fermentable, meaning they're really tasty, um, yummy food for then microorganisms, which we, in through a fermentation stage of the technology, we um, we feed those hydro wood hydrolysates to um, a microorganism. Um, it's a yeast, actually, a yeast um, organism or single cell protein is the other is the other term that's used a lot in the feed and food space. But um, they then consume the wood, grow, and then um, after the fermentation stage is complete, we separate them from that growth media, which also includes includes some nutrients and other um, you know things that we add and have optimized um, there, um, and separate them, and then we dry. The, the yeast is dried to um, a powder, which is a high protein ingredient, uh, and that's the final product, which is Silpro. What stage of development is RBM at right now? So we are in what we're calling our demonstration phase. So the company uh, really has gone through a traditional industrial biotechnology um, sort of evolution and scale up process, where um, you know from where it's a traditional scale up from the lab to then bench scale and um, moving to pilot scale, uh, where we have we have a pilot plant in Norton, Virginia, and now we're moving. The demonstration program is really meant to up. Um, scale up the production process from, from pilot to um, you know, demonstration, which, what they call TRL4 um, from a technology readiness standpoint. Um, and that's, that's uh, going on uh, in Europe and the US with our engineering and R&D team, as well as external um, partner facilities and, and, um, and organizations who have experience in it in, in scaling up and have the facilities uh, to support you know, really moving, um, you know, basically it's, it's um, doing uh, our wood to food process at larger scale mm -hmm. before getting, um, before really de-risking or, or helping to, to de-risk and inform the design of an industrial scale plant. What are some of RBM's biggest challenges right now? And what do you guys do to address those? I think right now, you know, our challenges are um, really executing the demonstration program. And, and delivering on our milestones there from a, from a scale up and um, you know not only just you know does it work at the scale you know does the fermentation work when you you know double or triple or however many x times we're making you know this much more so pro at a single stage um, but um, you know that's on the more of the, the actual process and program side but we're also um, we're fundraising right now too mm -hmm. so I think. We're, one of the challenges that has been um, has been identifying, you know, just how much, uh, you know, the classic challenge of startups is, you know, raising only how much you need, <laughs> because, um, you know, I think that that's, that's it's a fine balance. But we are, um, you know, we're really excited about the next stage in our plan um, as a company. Um, and then, the, you know, the last thing is is just time is a challenge. <laughs> like um, the, the food and feed industries take take a long, long time to um, evaluate and incorporate new ingredients, um, especially when you know the, what they have right now is you know works. If it ain't if it isn't broke, don't fix it. But when the the challenges of tomorrow don't hurt today, there's a lot a lot less impetus to change. Not only you know are we you know, looking at this from a, you know, it'll, it'll improve you know, biodiversity by not, by, you know, by allowing us to be decoupled from the fish meal and, and, you know, marine ingredients. 
um, as well as like safety and nutrition of protein products that go into feeds and foods, um, such as like animal byproducts or highly processed plant proteins. Um, we're also uh, measuring our entire end-to-end -end, um, cradle to grave life cycle of the production process and the, and the product um, to compare it um, to other proteins from a, you know, either water use, there's, I think there's six or seven different um, categories included in the LCA methodology and study that's underway. So um, from a triple bottom line approach, I think we're really taking a data-driven approach to, um, to everything we do. It's these types of innovations, startups, and entrepreneurs that encompass the triple bottom line that are going to change the future of agriculture. That was Vivian Lee. We'd like to give her a big thanks for guest hosting and producing this episode. And thanks to the UNC Institute for the Environment and the companies profiled in this episode for their time and vision. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And be sure to check out our show notes for links to the three companies profiled here and to more stories of innovation from our student interns. I'm Kirsten Williams from the IE Cleantech Program at the Institute for the Environment at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Thanks for joining us.